know you have lots of questions. If you think that you've developed symptoms. Should I avoid large public gatherings? Whether schools should be closed. Welcome to Common Sense. Here we address your questions about COVID-19 with interviews featuring experts in medicine and leaders in community, public, and global health. Here's your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. Welcome to COVID-19, Common Sense Conversations on the Coronavirus Pandemic. I'm your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. I want to remind everyone that this is a rapidly changing topic, and so anything we discuss today may be different than at the time this podcast is recorded. My guest today is Reverend Robert Dowd, who is the Assistant Provost for Internationalization and Associate Professor of Political Science and Director of the Ford Family Program in Human Development Studies and Solidarity at the University of Notre Dame. His research interests include African politics, ethnic politics, and the relationship between religion, political institutions, national identity, and human development. He is the author of Christianity, Islam, and Liberal Democracy. Lessons from Sub-Saharan Africa. He is currently focusing on research concerning religion and the integration of migrants and refugees in Europe and North America and the effects of faith-based schools on citizenship and civic engagement in Africa. Father Dowd founded the Ford Family Program in 2008, which is part of Notre Dame's Kellogg Institute for International Studies in the Keough School of Global Affairs. Its mission is to integrate teaching, research, and grassroots community engagement in parts of the world where extreme poverty continues to be a major challenge. Ordained a Holy Cross priest in 1994, Father Dowd holds a BA in economics from the University of Notre Dame and a PhD in political science from UCLA. Father Bob, thank you for joining me on the podcast. I've been looking forward to this conversation because you'll bring a global health perspective to our discussion, where previously we've focused on the COVID-19 pandemic, mainly as it affects the United States and our own healthcare system. It's our pleasure to have you, Bob. We're looking forward to hearing some of your expertise. Can we start by having you tell our audience a bit more about yourself, about your academic interests and the research that you've been doing? Thank you, Ted. It's a pleasure to be with you. Sure. Yeah, I grew up uh, not far from Notre Dame, actually, uh, towards Chicago, a place called Michigan City, Indiana. And growing up, my, my father, my grandfather, my family, they were very active in politics. And so I naturally became very interested in politics. I've always been interested in politics and religion, the two, the two subjects that people often tell you to avoid in friendly conversation. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I went on to enter the seminary after I graduated from Notre Dame for the Congregation of Holy Cross. And it was during that time I first went to Africa. Uh, I went to Kenya. I spent a year and a half in Kenya as a seminarian. And it was a transformative experience. It really opened my eyes to uh, many things. It helped me learn a lot about myself, but also a lot about, about Africa, and more specifically about Kenya and East Africa. had the opportunity to study with, with African seminarians from all over the continent. And also, it sparked my interest in African politics and society. So upon returning uh, to the States and finishing up uh, my uh, theological studies uh, and being ordained a priest, and after working for three years at Notre Dame in campus ministry, I went to UCLA to uh, study uh, political science and then returned to Notre Dame to join the faculty. So I've always been interested in politics uh, and society. 
and especially interested in African politics and society. Uh, in a sense, I feel like I've left part of me in Africa, that part of me lives in Africa and part of me lives here uh, in Indiana at Notre Dame. There are two widely different geographic areas, so it's a long plane ride to connect the two, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, um, Father Bob, you founded the Ford Family Program about 12 years ago and have been very engaged in projects in Africa through this program. Can you please tell us more about this work that you're doing? Yeah, so about 12 years ago, we founded a program called the Ford Program. It's part of the Kellogg Institute for International Studies at the Keough School of Global Affairs here at Notre Dame. And what we wanted to do is a different kind of research, uh, research that addresses challenges of extreme poverty, uh, research that is informed by deep community engagement and community participation at every step along the way. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we were doing research that actually benefits the community and addresses challenges that the community itself identifies. I think uh, all too often we academics, uh, we're really good at extracting information and gathering information to build our own careers, but we're not so good at making sure that the research that we do really, really informs the community, that it really uh, gives back to the community. And that's the kind of research that we want to do here at Notre Dame. It's the kind of research that, that we strive to do through the Ford program. Uh, what I try to do is connect our faculty here at Notre Dame with uh, challenges um, faced by people in other parts of the world where extreme poverty continues to be a challenge. I think we have a lot to learn from each other. I think the the other thing that's important for us to recognize, and one thing that we try to make clear through the Ford program, is that the idea that human development is is it's not just about physical health and material well-being, as important as they are, but it's about the quality of life people enjoy overall. And uh, we really think that in many ways, that's uh, a sense of community is an important element of the quality of life, and that uh, this is something that isn't isn't just something that people in in the global south or in, in parts of the world like Africa or Kenya more specifically struggle with. It's something that we continue to struggle with here in North America and in, in Europe and other parts of the world. So human development is a challenge in many parts of the world, not just the global south, not just Africa. Right. So I'd love to drill down into this idea of human development in the setting of extreme poverty a bit more. Mm -hmm. And I know that part of what you've been doing is focused on improving maternal child health care access and also working on small business empowerment in Africa. Um, can you tell our audience more about this and particularly the new maternal child hospital in Dandora, Kenya that you've been part of? Yeah, so we uh, we launched a uh, a maternal child health center in a part of Nairobi, Kenya, called Dandora. And uh, this this part of Dandora is uh, an area that probably includes about two hundred thousand people. It's very densely populated and very large uh, dump site where the whole city of Nairobi is located in Dandora. And obviously, that has very negative effects on the health of the people of Dandora. For a long time, people in the community have been talking about the need for a decent place for women to give birth, to receive prenatal care, and to give birth and to receive postnatal care. And so eventually our, our community and the parish community in Dandora, the, the Catholic church there, uh, decided to open up this maternal health center. And so it's about three years old and it, it's off and running. And um, I think it's, you know, we're in the early stages. It's a heavy lift. There are a lot of challenges, but we have great leadership on the ground and we have, we have really dedicated medical professionals who are providing skilled and compassionate care um, to the women and children of Dandora and environs. 
you know, it's been a very rewarding experience to be a part of that. Um, there are a lot of challenges ahead, as I mentioned, but um, I think we're moving in, in the right direction and we're learning a lot along the way. That's amazing work that, that you're all doing there, Bob. Um, this next question might be a little bit out of your area of expertise, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. And that is that the healthcare system in most countries in Africa look very different than it does here in the United States. Um, can you tell us a bit about what the healthcare system looks like in the countries where you've been focusing your work and I guess specifically in Kenya? Yeah, I mean, I'd say the healthcare systems uh, in Africa, for the most part, they've been improving over the last few decades, but certainly um, they are in uh, weak in, in many ways and um, not not really prepared to, to deal with um, a pandemic like COVID-19. I think that uh, that's um, one reason why I think many African countries are really trying to get out in front of it and learn, learn from the experience of countries where COVID-19 um, spread uh, earlier. So learning from from countries in Europe, learning from uh, China, from South Korea, uh, learning from our experience here in, in the United States. So I think that uh, the healthcare systems, in in many ways, they're uh, under resourced and they they face really significant uh, challenges. Nonetheless, I think there's some very dedicated people working in public health systems throughout the continent, including Kenya. And like I said, I think public health systems have been improving. Much depends on government and the political leaders and how dedicated they are to providing public health for their citizens. And uh, so hopefully, little by little, we will get the kind of leaders that uh, there and here, for that matter, that will help us to establish the kind of public health systems that we need uh, to care for people, especially those who are most vulnerable. That's great. And, and just also diving in even a little bit more on this, and if you don't know the specific answers, absolutely fine. But in countries that are less w- well-developed and have fewer resources for healthcare, um, are there specific things that they're doing to try to address this COVID-19 pandemic and trying to prevent the spread of COVID-19? You said they're trying to get out in front of it and look at what the rest of the world has been doing. Are, are there specifics in there about how they're really trying to, to deal with it? I think that uh, Kenya, for example, more than two weeks ago, uh, the president of Kenya uh, announced pretty significant restrictions and physical distancing. And um, and since then, actually, the, the government directives have become more strict. Uh, for example, two weeks ago, the president of Kenya announced that uh, only Kenyan citizens and legal permanent residents of Kenya would be allowed in the country. Uh, they closed schools, uh, primary and secondary schools, as well as universities. They also announced announced just a few days ago the importance of uh, closing down non-essential businesses. Um, I think one of the challenges, of course, uh, and this is true of in any part of the world, where in large urban areas where people live in high density, where people live together very closely, uh, it's going to be very difficult to abide by the physical distancing uh, restrictions and directives and advice. Uh, we know that there are families in Kenya, for example, in Nairobi and some other large cities of Kenya. Kenya, where people live very closely together in the same house. The families tend to be a bit larger than we're used to right now here in North America and in Europe. And so the physical distancing becomes a real challenge where you have large families living in small houses and uh, in developments very concentrated close together. So it actually sounds like the approach has been quite similar to, to what we, we've seen here in the United States with the school closures and the non-essential business closures and social distancing. And, and then they're dealing with the additional challenge of high density, which we actually do see in some parts of our country too, right? That's right. Yeah. 
So can you tell us what are some of the unique challenges in developing countries like Kenya that may not have as robust communications, technology, and healthcare systems as we have here in North America and in Europe? Well, I think that one of the challenges, I mean, first of all, communication in a country like Kenya and in many other parts of Africa, people are on social media. People are, um, you know, people usually are using their phones to access social media. And they're, they're really, communication is is pretty good for, for many people, not everyone, that's for sure. But I think that um, one of the, the challenges, though, that, that people face is the kind, of cu- the kind of electronic communications or the kind of communications technology that would help students, for example, to keep learning at home. Uh, if they're not in school. Uh, there is e-learning uh, that's going on, for example, in Kenya uh, and in Uganda, its neighbor, and I would imagine in Tanzania as well. But uh, you can imagine that this isn't uh, this isn't um, perhaps going so well, and e-learning may not be available at all in many rural areas, and, and uh, just because of a lack of connectivity and technology. So I think that, um, you know, communications, I think people are, uh, many people, especially in urban areas, Communicate, communicate quite easily with each other. Uh, but where it might be a more of a challenge is in the rural areas. And this is also true of, of healthcare more generally, public health more generally. Um, I think that in many parts of Africa, there's still a lot of work going on to make uh, to make healthcare more accessible uh, to people in rural areas. And so we can imagine that in many rural areas, uh, people aren't getting the kind of care that they, that they really need. That's something that I know many, many African countries are continuing to work on is to provide public health to all of their uh, people, all of their citizens, uh, especially including those in far-flung rural areas. Father Bob, I'd like to loop back a little bit to the this education piece. Students here in the United States are able to continue at least some of their schoolwork and studies because we have the infrastructure to allow web-based education and many or most families have internet at home. This here in the United States can have a significant impact on underprivileged students who don't necessarily have access to internet in their own homes or don't have their own computer. Yeah. And what I'm, you know, a larger proportion of the population of, of a country like Kenya may have that issue. I, I'm going to ask for your expertise on that. And you've already mentioned the rural areas that may not have very good access. How does the less developed infrastructure in a country such as Kenya affect students' ability to continue to learn, especially if if we're looking at this pandemic going on for the next couple of months. Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.
It's, it's going to be very challenging and it's going to be, it, it represents a really severe interruption to learning. I, I just think that for many students, it's going to be, for the most part, impossible to continue to learn. You know, I think that it, it's maybe much easier in, for, in certain parts of the country than for others. But I think for the vast majority of the population, I actually think it's going to be a real challenge and a real interruption in education. That is at the primary level and at the secondary level. That's really tough. So if we consider the possibility that for maybe two months, um, students are going to be not only out of out of school physically, but out of school and out of a learning environment completely, that's a real challenge. So how to meet that challenge, I think, is is uh, one really important question for us. How, how can we meet that challenge? How can African countries meet that challenge? situation like this can really reveal sort of the disparities, not only in our own country, um, but in, in many other countries of the world and parts of the world like Africa. Those disparities become into clear view and it gets us thinking about how we can address these kinds of disparities. And, and when we're in a situation like this, um, how we can make sure that all children can continue to learn and uh, including those who are the most vulnerable and those from underprivileged parts of the world, those from underprivileged families. So I'd like to actually ask a, a little bit more about the social and economic effects of disparities. In most U.S. cities, schools have been closed to help with social distancing, and this has a real significant economic and social impact on many families, particularly if, if a parent needs to stay home, is otherwise in the workforce and needs to stay home. It can affect, you know, if the, both parents are out working and they have young children, who's going to take care of those children? And, you know, if it needs to be the grandparent, that grandparent's at higher risk of, of serious illness if they contract COVID-19. So how does the school closures, how does that affect families in Kenya and elsewhere in Africa where you're doing your work? It means, yeah, more people at home. And uh, like I said, the, the family size tends to be a bit larger in um, much, of, much of Africa. For example, I think that probably the average size in Kenya at the moment is something like four or five. So four or five children per family and many families having more children than that. So you can imagine what it's like to, you know, if you just have one or two kids at home, that's challenging enough, I think, for most people. But if you've got five or six kids at home when school is not in session, then this becomes a real challenge. And think about, especially if those kids are relatively young and you've got people who are um, also trying to to make a living, uh, to feed those children um, and to meet their needs and everything kind of comes to a halt economically. Work becomes impossible for people to work, especially hourly jobs. This is a huge stress. One thing the Kenyan government has done is announced tax cuts, but uh, I don't know if it's enough. And we have we have stimulus, stimulus packages uh, or a stimulus package that's under review right now. I think the House is to pass it today here in the United States. But such a stimulus package is is really not uh, feasible in a country like Kenya. And, and Kenya is a relatively um, it's a relatively stable uh, country with a rather solid economy compared to many other African countries. So um, so it's a real challenge to get through a time like this to get through a period. People are amazingly resilient, though. 
I will say that. Um, people do somehow find a way. And I do think that it calls people to, to rally behind each other, to support one another. One thing that many uh, African countries have going for them is a strong sense of community and being there for one another. Now, of course, physical distancing makes it more difficult to um, sort of form that community. In, in many ways, it makes it more difficult. But I would imagine people are going to find a way to be attentive to to one another. And that's going to help people through this, through this crisis uh, more than anything else, I think. Yes, absolutely. And Father Bob, in our healthcare system here in the United States, which, you know, should be a good one, um, we're running into issues of having enough personal protective equipment for our healthcare workers, enough ventilators for our patients, um, even access to some necessary medications. Can you tell us what you know about what's happening in Kenya related to this and how this is affecting the care that, that they're able to provide for their patients who have COVID-19? Yeah, without, without a doubt. I mean, I think at the early stages here, uh, the Kenya's health system is is dealing with the situation relatively well. But obviously, what they're trying to do is really get out in front of it because um, because although by African standards, Kenya's public health system is is good, it it will be stretched and it will be overstretched uh, if the COVID nineteen uh, wave hits uh, in Kenya the way it has hit in other countries. It will be the health system uh, will be completely and totally over. Well, so they're really trying to get out in front of it and and uh, get out in front of that curve uh, so that the health system can deal with the cases. I think that um, I think that um, they uh, I think they have uh, you know I think that uh, in many in at least in urban areas again there's this rural urban divide that persists in in many parts of Africa at least in urban areas I think most medical facilities have basically what they need. Um, they may not have and almost certainly don't do not have enough ventilators, uh, but but other types of medication, other types of material for care, they do have. Now, in rural areas, uh, it's a different story, for sure. So COVID-19 would completely, uh, at the spread of COVID-19, if it spreads in Kenya the way it has spread in, in many countries of Europe and in the United States, it would be devastating. It would be totally overwhelm the public health system. So they're really trying to get out in front of it. Perhaps one thing that countries, and many countries in Africa, have going for them is relatively young population. We know that this virus doesn't totally spare the young, but we know that young people with um, with normal, normally functioning immune systems can usually deal with it. So one thing that many African countries have going for them is a relatively young population to begin with. Uh, of course, many of those young people do have immunodeficiencies that would make them more vulnerable to this virus and uh, that makes and that would make uh, mortality more likely. But, but nonetheless, I think uh, it's an interesting to think about how uh, Kenya's demography might, and Africa's demography more generally, might somehow affect the COVID-19 spreads and its effects. Right. And when, you, when you're talking about younger people having immunodeficiencies, we're talking about higher rates of HIV mm -hmm. and AIDS and lack of access to, you know, lack of good preventive measures and access to medications like we mm -hmm. have here in the United States. Is that right? That's right. Exactly. Yes. Um, so I wanted to ask um, you a question about how the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting social and economic resources in these countries and specifically in Kenya. And you've already touched a bit on 
the governmental response and, and kind of how they don't have as much buffer as we do here to be able to release stimulus packages. Can you tell us a little bit more what happens is happening kind of on a regional level or local levels um, related to, to these resources? I think a lot of people will rely on um, not only their family members uh, and, and close friends, but a lot of people will be relying on organizations like churches, religious institutions, mosques for support during these tough times. And, uh, you know, in countries without without a strong social safety net provided by the state, it's not surprising that people would turn to faith-based institutions, religious institutions. And certainly there's a long history of that in many parts of Africa. And so I would would expect that to be the same. So I think that religious institutions, the churches, uh, other charitable organizations um, are going to be very important during this time in in much of Africa. And uh, and so I think it's going to be, this is a very important time for those types of organizations to gather their resources, uh, mobilize people, um, and, and be ready to, to try to address the needs of the people who come to them for support. Right. Um, I'd actually like to talk even a little bit more about that. Can you speak to spiritual or religious life in the areas where you work in Africa? And then also, how has that been affected by this pandemic? Religion is very important in many people's lives in many parts of Africa, and the same is true, of course, in East Africa and Kenya. People are tend to be very religious and uh, t- tend to, to spend a fair amount of time gathered in religious communities for prayer. Uh, I think people really rely on their faith to get through very difficult times. Faith can be used, actually, as an escape from everyday challenges. Faith can also be uh, an inspiration that helps people to deal with those challenges. And so uh, I I would expect that uh, people's faith would be really important. I mean, I think uh, the same would be true here in in the U.S. and in other parts of the world. I think when people turn, they begin to reflect on on what's happening in the world. They begin to reflect on what matters most in life, and they begin to also um, to gather some sort of internal strength and courage and to to deal with the situation. And I think that many people find uh, that internal strength and that courage through their religious institutions, um, through their, uh, in their faith. And uh, no doubt that's going to be very important. It is very important, I think, for many people in Africa. That's been my experience anyway. That's great. Thank you for giving us that perspective. Um, as we have, as we're starting to wrap up this podcast, I want to ask: Is there a way for our audience to get involved if they want to help out or support the work that you're doing? Oh, well, thanks. Thanks for asking, Ted. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, about our medical center and maternity ward uh, in the Dandora area of Nairobi, people could just go to holycrossusa.org and there they would find information about uh, the Brother Andre Medical Center in Dandora. And then, of course, the Ford program, they could easily go to the University of Notre Dame website to learn more about the Ford Family Program and Human Development Studies and Solidarity, which is uh, part of the Kellogg Institute. And, um, and certainly, I'd be happy to talk with anybody who's interested in the work that we're striving to do in uh, in East Africa and elsewhere. So, uh, Father Bob, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think it's important for our audience to know about what's going on here or anything else um, you think they should be aware of? No, I'd only say I'm really grateful for this opportunity to, to talk with you, Ted, and I hope the what I've shared um, during our time together is uh, is helpful for people. I hope it's uh, something that, that people find informative. 
Uh, I would just say that uh, during times like this, uh, I think that um, we need to we need to come together locally, nationally, globally. I think it's a time to reflect on how we're all in this life together, and it's important for us to do what we can uh, to be attentive to one another. I guess uh, as difficult as it might be for each one of us, I think it's uh, important for us to be mindful of those who are even more vulnerable than than we are physically, economically, and otherwise. Uh, so I hope that this crisis, uh, as difficult and, and trying uh, as it is, might help us to, to remember what matters the most and the importance of community. I know when this crisis is over, I, I, I know that I'll be ready to see face-to-face many people I haven't seen physically um, over the last few weeks. Uh, it's kind of helped me to, to be mindful of how important uh, people are <laughs> in our lives and how important it is and how, how great it is to be able to come together. So absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think that may be the case for many of us during this time. We grow fonder. We realize the importance of family and friends and the importance of community. So I hope during this time, actually, uh, the silver lining in all of this might be that we learn some lessons about uh, health and about health systems and preparedness, but that we also learn lessons about what matters most in life and the importance of community. I, I really appreciate those thoughts, Father Bob, and and agree, and, and what you're saying really resonates. I, I want to thank you for being on the podcast with us today. I think you have brought a really new and different perspective than we've covered before. And, you know, we really should be thinking about this from a global perspective because it is a global pandemic. And so appreciate your expertise and your thoughts and helping to just educate us all a little bit more. Thank you so much, Ted. I really appreciate what you're doing and everything that you and so many other medical professionals are doing right now on the front lines of this during this very challenging time. Thank you. It's it's our pleasure. It's what, what we do. We're all, as you say, we're all in this together. We're one big community. So make sure you stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll look forward to seeing you sometime when the uh, pandemic has passed us by. Thank you. Yeah, we'll get through this. And thank you very much. Absolutely. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. If you have questions about COVID-19 that you'd like discussed on the podcast, send an email to info at arslanga.media. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Be vigilant, but remain calm. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.